If the reptilians do not scare you, then you don't know enough about the reptilians. I am Joshua P. Warren, and this is a bonus for Joshua P. Warren Daily. Um, I want to play for you some audio that I originally recorded and published in February of 2017. So you'll notice a difference in quality. Um, This was originally released as a part of the Speaking of Strange report which was a companion podcast that I would do to the main Speaking of Strange broadcast. So I've now recut this for you, and uh, even if you've heard this before, it's worth giving it another listen. I think this is the most detailed, comprehensive description of the reptilians that I've ever come across. And so uh, I think you're going to like this. Uh, Also, please remember you can always learn more by visiting my website, joshuapwarren.com. Here you go, bonus material about the reptilians. Enjoy. Have you ever heard of Commander X? I've been reading his books for decades. This is some of the wildest stuff ever published, and it's supposedly all true nonfiction. Commander X is the pen name of a supposed government operative who has worked on the inside with the CIA, the NSA, the military at Area 51, you name it, and he is now a whistleblower. He now lives out of a suitcase and goes to great lengths to protect his identity, and he spills the beans on all the dark twisted government conspiracies, the New World Order, the Illuminati, uh, brainwashing, uh, super advanced top secret technology. Uh, He has seen the aliens and the reptilians in person. Uh, He knows how flying saucers work. I mean, you name it. Uh, His books are extremely well written, and for a guy like me, Reading a Commander X book makes me feel like a kid in a candy shop. It always has. Well, anyway, Commander X started publishing these controversial books in 1990, and the only person he could trust to publish this material was my good friend Timothy Green Beckley, a.k.a. Mr. UFO. He owns the Inner Light global communications publishing company. Uh, Tim lives in New York. And all these years, whenever I've seen Tim, I've put friendly pressure on him to tell me who Commander X is. I've tried everything. I've tried getting him drunk at a bar. Every time I've interviewed him on Speaking of Strange, I've said, okay, now's your chance, Tim. Get this off your chest. Finally tell the world who Commander X is, and he would never budge. He always had a twinkle in his eye, and I figured he would carry the secret to his grave. Well, listen to this. About a week ago, I received a package from Tim Beckley, and it contained a brand new book hot off the press called The Commander X Files identifying the real Commander X. I couldn't believe it. I thought, oh boy, time to put on a pot of fine Puerto Rican coffee, dim the lights, and dig into this one. 
and this book is definitely a whirlwind of a read. It not only starts with Tim Beckley telling us more about the identity of Commander X, but the whole book is filled with amazing Commander X content. It's so fascinating that I contacted Tim and said, my friend, will you please let me read at least one juicy chapter of this book on my podcast? He gave me permission. And so now I'm going to read a chapter for you out of this new book that particularly struck me because it gives one of the most detailed and chilling overviews of what these aliens are, exactly what they look like, and what they have in store for us humans. So I'm about to read you chapter two called An Alien Overview. So here we go, chapter two from the new book called The Commander X-Files, identifying the real Commander X, Alien Hunter. The most horrifying truth that ever confronts a researcher into UFOs and aliens is the realization that at a certain point, forces within the U.S. government capitulated to, and at least to a certain degree, joined forces with the aliens in their goal to dominate the Earth. If you have read my earlier works, particularly The Ultimate Deception, then you know that the history of the collaboration of the reptilian gray aliens, which apparently hail from Zeta Reticuli 1 and 2, Orion, and other stellar locations, and the secret government dates back as far as 1933, although information on this early period is somewhat scanty. Why do the gray aliens seem to be in reptilian form? What dictated this form of evolution which is so different than humankind, the highest form of intelligence which is indigenous to this planet? Well, we can only speculate on this matter. But the well-known UFO and paranormal researcher Brad Steiger has commented, quote, In the late 1960s, I presented my hypothesis that the reason why the most frequently reported UFO knots resemble reptilian or amphibian humanoids may be because that is exactly what they are, highly evolved members of a serpentine or semi-aquatic species. A provocative theory is that the dinosaurs did not really vanish. They evolved into a humanoid creature that eventually ran its course or was destroyed in an Atlantis-type catastrophe, end quote. goes on to say, Steiger also says, quote, I had developed this hypothesis considerably, so I was delighted when I received word that Dell Russell and Ron Seekin of Canada's National Museum of Natural Sciences of Ottawa had fashioned a model of a humanoid dinosaur using Stenotcosaurus and Echolus as their inspiration. Stenotcosaurus, according to Russell, had a rather large brain and eyes with overlapping visual fields. The 90-pound dinosaur also walked on two legs, and it appears to have had a particularly opposable thumb on its three-clawed hand. 
The result of such scientific speculation was an astonishingly human-like creature that Russell terms a dinosaur a dinosauroid. <laughs> dinosauroid. Says the creature stands four and a half feet tall, has a large domed head, green skin, and yellow reptilian eyes. It should probably have had ears, Russell conceded, but the effect would have made it appear too human. As it is, the dinosaur on display at Canada's National Museum of Natural Sciences almost exactly fits the descriptions of UFO knots provided by thousands of men and women throughout the planet who have reported close encounters, end quote. In all probability, the reptilian and gray races have been residents on Earth for many centuries, and some of these beings may in fact be native to Earth. It is not outside the realm of possibility that the greys are the original inhabitants of Earth, and we humans are descendants of space-wandering Nordic extraterrestrials. But that is information to delve into some other time. The insightful researcher who conceals his identity with the nom de plume Branton has done a good deal of investigation into the historical nature of the reptilians and their early contact with the human race on Earth, and has detailed it in his research paper titled The Cult of the Serpent. Remember that the gray aliens commonly described in UFO abduction cases are one race classified within the reptilians which Branton describes. The possibility that an ancient reptilian saurian race may exist below the surface of this planet is not an idea which is relatively new. This infernal yet physical race has been referred to in spiritual and historical records which date back to the beginning of time. Ancient Hebrew history, for instance, records that our human ancestors were not the only intelligent free will beings who inhabited the ancient world. Genesis chapter 3 refers to the serpent, that's in quotes, which according to many ancient Hebrew scholars was identified with a hominid or biped reptilian being. The ancient Hebrew word for serpent is nakash, which according to Strong's Comprehensive and other biblical concordances, contained in itself the meanings reptile, enchantment, hissing, whisper, diligently observe, learn by experience, incantation, snake, etc., all of which may be descriptive of the serpent soroid race which we have been referring to. The original Nakash was not actually a, quote, snake, as most people believe, but actually an extremely intelligent, cunning creature, possessed with the ability to speak and reason. It also stood upright, as we've said, as did many of its descendants, the small saurian predators, which ambled about on two legs, Many of these reptilian creatures retained their bipedal form, while others mutated via natural selection, adaptation, and atrification into the other saurian species.
These infernally empowered beings who once roamed the surface of the planet and preyed on humanity were later forced to go underground and make their abode in the subterranean networks which honeycomb the subcrust of the earth. From these nether regions they have for thousands of years been carrying out their ancient and secret warfare against God and the souls of men whom they hate intensely. Some years ago, a lady by the name of Robin Collins wrote an article referring to this serpent race and its influence upon the human race throughout history. Collins was of the opinion that, as these creatures alleged, the serpent race, quote, created man and planted him on this planet. All indications, however, strongly point to the fact that this is just one of many propagandist lies which this infernal race propagates. If these alien deceivers can convince man that they created us, and therefore they are our, quote, creator gods, so to speak, then we will all be more likely to bow down and submit to these vermin in worshipful adoration. Such revelations and propaganda often come through trance mediums who claim to channel these alien beings. On a few occasions, these alien creatures have spewed forth such propaganda directly to abductees during UFO encounters. Now, since their race has long since lost any concept of righteousness or moral integrity, they will not think twice about using deception or whatever means at their disposal in order to advance their overall control of all things. Deception is, and has been for thousands of years, second nature to them. And therefore, any statement made by them should be considered in light of this fact. Although the alien physiognomy has been treated of extensively in my work and in that of other researchers, some readers might appreciate a comprehensive rundown on the subject. John H. Andrews, in The Extraterrestrials and Their Reality, provides a good thumbnail estimation of the gray aliens. The occupants of the UFOs, which we call flying saucers, are sometimes called EBEs, for extraterrestrial biological entities. They are normally three to five feet tall. Their slender bodies, extra-large heads, long arms, claw-like hands, and big eyes give them the appearance of being an oversized human fetus. These little people are usually seen wearing tight-fitting, metallic, one-piece suits to keep their body temperature from overheating. Each suit is completely one color, but different colored suits have been observed. Sometimes these suits are equipped with a breathing and or air conditioning apparatus. One abductee estimated the temperature of these beings' hands to be 115 degrees Fahrenheit. These little people are quick-moving and of lightweight like birds, yet are quite strong. This suggests they have a very high metabolic rate and perhaps a limited lifespan of 15 years or less. 
autopsy reports of some of these alien beings revealed some very frightening information. Their feet, genitalia, breasts, digestive tracts, lymphatic systems, vocal cords, earlobes, noses, mouths, teeth, lips, and eyelids all appear to be atrophied and partially or completely absent because of either evolutionary degeneration or because of gene damage suffered as a result of some sort of nuclear holocaust or a gene splicing experiment which went wrong. Their eyes appear to have no pupils or irises. Their hands most often have only four fingers with the little finger missing. Some hands are webbed. They have a smooth reptilian skin which has been observed to have various colors from tan, yellowish green, pinkish green to gray, but never plain green. They have a heart and a single lung. Their bodies hold a transparent liquid containing no red blood cells which could carry oxygen. Witnesses who claim they have been in one of the underground UFO bases describe having seen large containers with an amber liquid containing the body parts of human beings and cattle which had been mutilated. Some evidence suggests that the victims of these mutilations had their blood drained and body parts removed while they were still alive. This may have been done to preserve the effectiveness of the antibodies in the blood to protect the ETs from earthly microorganisms and viruses because their immune systems had long ago ceased to function. The body parts and blood from the victims in these containers were apparently being processed with hydrogen peroxide to produce a liquid food for the alien beings. To eat, they either soak their bodies in this liquid or rub it on their hands. The nutrients are absorbed through their skin and their waste products are expelled through their skin also. These little people seem to communicate with one another and with some unseen intelligence by mental telepathy. However, certain electronic devices have been seen on these people which could enhance this process. A pencil-like device which can emit light is often seen held by the beings to temporarily paralyze humans when it is turned on them. Whenever a group of the little saucer people are seen together, it has been noted that their heads and faces are identical, suggesting they might be clones. Sometimes their bodies have different proportions, conceivably by design, so that some of them would be better adapted for the particular jobs they will perform. Their brain is possibly 40% larger than that of humans. It contains an extra segment in the front of their heads in the location where mystics tell us our third eye is located. There are several functions which most humans cannot do, which the ETs have been seen to do. These functions could be attributed to the workings of this extra segment of their brains. They can levitate themselves and other objects. They are able to partially dematerialize themselves and other beings and objects so they can float through solid walls. Reports indicate 
that this power may be limited. Some ETs have been held captive within deep underground installations. Electromagnetic shielding around these cells could also have helped contain these people. They can bend light rays around themselves with their minds so as to render themselves invisible. The only thing in nature we can think of which can noticeably bend light rays is a giant mass like our sun. And even it doesn't do nearly as good a job as do the ETs. They can also send a light beam to some finite point in space and then retract it or extend it at will. Now this special beam could be made for capturing and transporting abductees, both animals and people. They can also illuminate the inside of a totally enclosed structure through the solid walls. These small ET people only have a small aura around themselves when compared to the auras of human beings. This fact generates some interest, awe, and even respect in the ET community for human beings. In dealing with the ETs, we should exploit this fact as much as possible. Their minimal auras strongly suggest that they are only manufactured biological robots who have a soul and or spirit more like that of a lizard or other small animal. No wonder most of them have little compassion for humans. Only a very few of these creatures show any signs of having any great degree of intelligence over and above that required for accomplishing their assigned tasks. Many of them seem mean and irritable. Others are just plain malevolent and could be quite dangerous to humans. <laughs> That's the end of uh, that chapter. Wow. How would you like to meet one of those guys in person? Um, <laughs> you know, when you read stuff like that, and you keep an open mind, you start thinking about all kinds of bizarre things. And even though this was kind of stated in that chapter, I mean, let me just throw an idea out there. I mean, what if, indeed, when the dinosaurs went extinct, however that actually happened millions of years ago, not all of their descendants went extinct. Maybe the most advanced ones actually did hide underground, away from whatever destruction or conditions took out the dinosaurs. And those continued to evolve into more humanoid advanced beings over millions of years which would explain the larger brains, perhaps, and the ability to do extraordinary things. And at some point, thousands of years ago, some other aliens came to this planet that looked more like you and I do. They came here, and they got a hold of some of the mammals, some of the ape-like creatures, played with their genetics to make humans 
in their image. Maybe as slaves, who knows what. And so here you have these humans that are again mammalian in nature and they're told uh, listen guys there are also these creepy reptilian beings that live under the ground and they, they're sneaky they mean you harm stay away from them and then gradually these little creepy reptilians come up and they start trying to interfere with humans kind of reminds you of the story from the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? When the serpent-like being is coming out there and tempting Eve. And then when the aliens that sort of seeded us, the god or the gods, saw what was going on, uh, the gods became angry and punished those reptilians banished them to go back underground and throughout the course of human history people who have come into contact with them they talk about these creepy creatures they call demons that live under the ground in a place called hell um (laughs) and that this battle has continued to ensue Look, I'm not telling you that that's what I believe. I just see some very interesting parallels in, say, the biblical account of things and what I just read to you in this book. I would love to sit here and read this whole book to you, uh, and I'd love to tell you more about who Commander X is, but I can assure you that if I did that, if I spoiled this book on the air... My friend Tim would probably fly down here in a black helicopter and slit my throat. So, I don't want to spoil the book, but I've given you a taste of it. So, honestly, you'll just have to buy a copy yourself if you want to get the whole story. But obviously, I recommend this book, and I'm not making a dime off of it, so I'm just telling you that because it's a good read. If you want to get this book and a lot of other great books, I'm talking a lifetime of wonderful content, Uh, Go to conspiracyjournal.com. That's Tim's website, conspiracyjournal.com. And just click the link there at the top that says Bookshop, and you'll find this book called The Commander X Files, updated, identifying the real Commander X alien hunter. Um, Gosh, so much stuff. In fact, you know, I do have a story in another book that Tim just published, This is a book, I've got it in my hands, another big, thick, comprehensive book. It's called Amityville and Beyond, The Lore of the Poltergeist and Other Petrifying Paranormal Phenomena. And uh, you may or may not know that I personally had an experience coming into contact with an interactive spirit at what some call the most haunted house in America, Myrtle's Plantation in Louisiana. And uh, I had a life-altering experience. And so I wrote an article about the night I spent alone in this haunted bedroom interacting with this thing. And that story is published, among many other great stories, by a variety of people in this other book, Amityville and Beyond. So you'll, f- you'll find that one there also at the conspiracyjournal.com 
bookshop. All right, there you have it. Hope you enjoyed that bonus. And uh, as always, I appreciate you listening to this podcast, Joshua P. Warren Daily.